0: majority of those who are older, said they would not die out before this happens. So that's kind of a mixed bag. A, they won't die out before I get here, but B, they're going to be awfully old when it happens. (laughs) So I guess that's okay. Uh, God knows what he's doing. He's able to give deer feet when he needs to. Anyway, uh, last week I got into some direct episodes in terms of what Satan has been able to do uh, to people and what he has attempted to do. Some of it was pretty dramatic and, in some respects, scary. And I used some of those examples. There were many more I could have used. uh, And over this last week, a few have told me some of the situations they've either experienced or seen uh, of Satan's very powerful influence and what he can do. I want to get away from that today. I wanted to last week let us see the rawness and the power that truly is there so that we file that away in the back of our minds and the knowledge and the understanding is there because as the end gets closer Satan is going to get more and more desperate to lead us astray in any way he can. He knows his time is short. So maybe I made a few uncomfortable. I don't know. Nobody said so. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if what I said last week didn't uh, make us get the willies a little bit. Uh, but perhaps we need to. You know, sometimes we have to face grim realities and truths that are not comfortable, and that was pretty much, I think, what that was. I'm never comfortable with it. I don't even like to talk about Satan, but I felt that I needed to give a few sermons, and I hope to wrap this up today and move to different things. But today, we want to get more into uh, warnings from Scripture and solutions from Scripture. Scripture. Well, it's one thing to say, here's a problem, but you also need to know what God instructs us in terms of how to deal with those problems, uh, true of anything that we face in life. So I'm going to go through quite a few scriptures today with some more uh, instruction from God about Satan and his devices and how to overcome The trouble that he can cause. Let's start in 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4. uh, Paul speaking, saying, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, or the, the job that he had before him, as we have received mercy, we faint not. In other words, God has given us a job to do. We are inadequate to it. We fall short of what we need to be. But God is merciful. And we faint not. So, in spite of adversity, in spite of our human nature and our problems, we don't allow it to knock us over, to cause us to faint, to give up, or whatever. But we have renounced the hidden things. There are a lot of things that people think, even do, that they hide because there's shame involved. They know it's not right. They wouldn't want anyone to know. So the the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, trying to trip up or trying to hurt or trying to take from, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. And there are people who do that. Uh, They will deceive you on what God's word actually says to lead you down a different path. But by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience and the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are being lost. You say it openly, you say it directly, but you have people in the world and in the church who don't want to hear and are in the process of being lost. Because if we are not willing to hear and to change and to do what we need to do, we could be lost. You are not once saved, always saved, as a lot of false ministers would teach you. The Apostle Paul said that he had to be careful, lest after having instructed others, he become a castaway. So he knew very clearly that it is possible to fall from grace, that it is possible to fall out of good favor with God through disobedience, and if you hide from the truth and hide from the truth about you, you could be lost because God says to overcome, to change. And if we will not face issues, we hide ourselves from them, we could be lost and notice where he puts a lot of the blame. In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Uh, Revelation twelve nine clearly says Satan has deceived the whole world. So this is the same category. He has blinded the minds. And people will not, do not, cannot, for that matter, believe. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine to them. God is light. His Son is light. Satan is the prince of the power of the air and the emissary of darkness. Now let's go to 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 6. Here he's speaking of qualifications of a a minister or a deacon or so on, but I want to pick it up in verse 6. Not a novice, not one new to truth, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. So God warned through Paul to Timothy not to ordain people who were new, hadn't had a background and an understanding that went a way back so that they might be better grounded and better able to handle the circumstances and situations that would arise and would not be taken over by pride. Pride comes before a fall, Proverbs tell us, and if you're new to something and don't haven't been through the ringer, let's say, and learned, then that pride overtakes you much easier. And when we're young, uh, we tend to have a great deal of pride. Ecclesiastes even talks about the young man who's proud of his musculature, his strength, and so on. But, of course, I've seen old people be just as proud as young people. Uh, You know, pride knows really no age, (coughs) but you might be less susceptible if you have a background and some life experience behind you. It's, you might be more aware. But Satan can take advantage of our pride, our vanity, our ego, and pull us down pretty easily through that. Now let's go to Second Timothy 2 and pick it up in verse 25. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Here he's still instructing Timothy as a minister in how he is to deal with people. He was not to be proud himself, but in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Our nature as a human being opposes God. It opposes His way. It wants to go its own way. So, it has been said many times we're our own worst enemy, and to a great degree that is true. Maybe our worst enemy is Satan, uh, but he only takes advantage of our human nature. So in one sense, maybe you could say our human nature is our worst enemy. He just takes advantage of it. I don't know that you can lay too much blame either direction. Maybe it's pretty equal in that sense. If God, perhaps, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, we fight it, we fight it, but perhaps God can change our minds, remove the opposition that we put up, which is really hurting us, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. Everyone on this earth is in the captivity of the devil. Even people who claim to be religious, whether it be Hindu, Protestant, Catholic, Muslim, or whatever are under the influence and the captivity of the devil. He has deceived the whole world. We need to understand that. Everybody you see out in society is in that captivity. The only ones who are escaping it, and I say escaping it because we have not fully escaped even yet, he still has a certain amount of pull with us, and influences us to some degree even though we are in the light and know the truth and are resisting Him. I mean, people who seem so sweet in some religions don't have the truth. And they say all you need is love. And they say the Ten Commandments are done away with. Well, now, this is the love of God that you keep the commandments. So, you cannot divorce love from the commandments. They are one and the same. They def- the commandments define what love is. Now, you have a whole bunch of people who will tell you it's just gooey sentimentality and a little feeling in your heart. That's a deception. That is not the love of God. That's human emotion. And Satan's ministers are transformed as angels of light. So, most anybody can see that violence and murder and uh, misuse of drugs and so on is, is evil and that's of the devil. But then they see somebody who seems so sweet and wouldn't hurt a fly and don't realize that that's just another manifestation of a gooey sentimentality that is not the love of God. We have to understand the difference. And I think that is why the church, under Herbert Armstrong so long, preached commandment-keeping so strongly was to try to counterbalance the gooey Protestantism that we perhaps grew up with. And realize that God's love is different than just human emotion. Notice it says they are taken captive by him at his will. It is Satan's will to deceive, to captivate, to destroy mankind. And he can pretty much do it at his will. 99.9999% of the people on this earth are in captivity to Satan's will and to his purposes, and they don't even know it. Revelation 2 and 3 talks about those who say they are Jews and are not. They say they're Christian, but according to God's definition, they're not. According to the Baptist or Methodist uh, definition, they are. But according to God's, not a chance. There are people, were and are, like the Pharisees, who thought they worship God. And Christ told them so very clearly, you worship your father, the devil. They didn't have any clue that's who they worshiped. Do we understand that? If it isn't according to this word, then it is ungodly. And Satan can take you pretty much at his will. I have seen bulls, cattle, that might weigh, let's say, 1,800 pounds. And they are a raging mass of hormones, angry, ready to destroy, butt, hook, kill, gore, anybody they can. And you can put a rope on their neck... And they will pull against that rope and jerk and tug and even choke themselves to death if you'll let them. But if you put a little ring in their nose and attach a rope to it, you can lead them around like a lamb. That just takes all the fight out of them. All of the will, all of the strength, all of the power of that huge animal weighing nearly a ton can be controlled so very easily with just that little ring. That's all it takes. When you pull on that, his nose is tender and he will follow his nose wherever you go. Docilely. It's amazing. He forgets to even charge forward. He just leads gently. See how easy it is to control an animal of that kind of power. And Satan at his will can pretty much lead a human being down any road he desires. Your human nature has so many different things that are contrary to God. Lust, vanity, jealousy, ego, you know, on and on it goes. The the works of the flesh are all there. And even, as I mentioned, the sentimentality and the so-called love of the churches of this world is another way he can lead you away from God. Because it can sound sweet, but the bottom line is, they say the commandments of God are done away with. The words of the Bible mean nothing. So it doesn't matter whether Satan accuses you of murder, or whether or not you're a gentle type of person who you think only feels love. But you know what? I've seen some of those sweetest little Protestant ladies that have the most wicked tongues, the meanest, nastiest tongues you'll come across. So, where is truly the love of God that treats your neighbor and loves your neighbor as well as yourself when you say you have this love, and yet what comes out of the mouth... Isn't very lovely. There's a dichotomy there. Let's go to 1 John 3. 1 John 3, verse 7. (coughs) Little children, let no man deceive you. He that does righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that commits sin is of the devil, for the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So he says it doesn't matter what you say. You can say you're a Christian. You can say you're not. But if you claim you are, then you have to do righteousness because God says if you don't actually do righteousness then you are of the devil that's why we get warnings about be not hearers only but doers of the word and every one of us has a trouble living up to it and doing it all but the degree of righteousness God's righteousness we have is based upon what we actually do how we actually live not just our opinion of ourselves. Whosoever is begotten of God does not commit sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he is begotten of God. That doesn't mean we won't ever sin, but what it means is not living a life of sin. He doesn't go the way of sin. He'll make mistakes like Paul and Peter and everyone has done except Christ. But he's not walking The way of sin. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever does not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loves not his brother. We have to love our brothers and our sisters. If we don't, then the scripture clearly says that we are not of God. That's something we all have to work on to be sure that we truly love our brothers and our sisters, and that's how God judges. Let's go from there to Romans 6. We need to, we need to understand who we worship. And God makes it very clear that whoever we obey is our master, is our father. Whatever attitudes we are in determine whether we are worshiping God or worshiping Satan. And you might do both within the span of a day. (laughs) You might do Satan's will part of the day, and and he's your father in the morning, and then you might repent, and and God's your father in the afternoon. No, it's whoever you're obeying, whoever you're following. That's why we have to repent. Romans uh, 6, verse 19. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity, unto iniquity, sin after sin, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. Do righteous things and work toward holiness." For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. You just served sin and self and my way uh, wholeheartedly. What fruit had you then in those things, whereof you were now ashamed, for the end of those things is death? So we might have lived a shameful way, but then we change and we begin to serve God and worship him instead of the way of this world and of Satan which is right out there he controls virtually everything in the culture, in the society, in whatever country you you reside he controls the politics, he controls the religions he controls virtually everything because he is the God of this world And has deceived the whole world. Not part of it, all of it. And until God began to show us the truth, we were deceived and a part of it. Even if we thought we were Christians. Because Christianity is defined differently by God than it is by man. By far. Revelation 2 verse 10. Fear none of those things which you shall suffer. Uh, Speaking to one of the churches here, Smyrna in this case particular. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be you faithful to death, and I will give you a crown of life. Satan is going to be turned loose on people in the church of God. Not all of them. He has turned loose to some degree on all of us now. But he is going to be given greater opportunity to destroy than he currently has through tribulation, through captivity, and prison. Remember, God gave Satan control by degrees with Job. You can only do this much, but don't do this. And it's, okay, now you can do this. Just don't kill him. Stop short of that. But here, it says in the end time, the seven churches that exist today, some will be put into prison and some will be put to death. Be faithful until that death. Now doesn't God promise us protection? Yes. Doesn't God say he will bless us? Yes. But you know, all those promises are only contingent upon our obedience, our dedication, and our commitment to Him. And if we are lackadaisical, Laodicean, don't care, hold hum, sort of go through the motions, all bets are off. And God will cast 90% of the church into the tribulation. And there they will have to come alive and be on fire for God and die faithfully. So, yes, God does promise safety, protection, but it is always conditional. Matthew 24 tells us to pray that you be accounted worthy to escape these things that are coming. And they're at the door. This whole world is just about to implode upon itself from so many different ways and in so many directions. It can't be too far off. So there's a warning here. Chapter 12, 9 uh, through 12, I want to read. I've already quoted part of it several times. But chapter 12, uh, verse 9 and of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead... Oh, this is, No, I'm in 11. No wonder it didn't sound right. <clears throat> Here it's talking about uh, the dragon, verse 9. "...was cast down from heaven, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him." So we already know that he goes before God day in and day out, accusing us of sin, whether it be true or false. He's a false witness as well. But he's going to be cast down. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accuses them before our God day and night. So that's the time when God says no more. You're not going to accuse my people anymore. Go back to the earth and stay there. You're not coming back before my throne anymore. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. So Satan is cast back down, and he's going to make one last attempt to destroy the church. And you read it at the end of this chapter, how he sends a flood or an army after us when we go to a place of refuge to Zion. And he will catch us if he can. So he's going to try to destroy her, and then when she gets away, he's going back to make war with the remnant of her seed. Those who were not led to a place of safety, who are left behind, he will go and make war with them and try to kill them all. So some will be protected from him, others will be turned over to him to die. And see if they will repent and change and be faithful to death. It's not a pretty picture. You and I want to avoid that at all costs. You do not want to go into what is about to happen to this world. For all but perhaps 100 million people out of close to 7 billion now are going to die by the time Christ returns. That's less than a third of the population of this nation alone that will survive. I think that's pretty clear in Daniel. You don't want to be in the middle of that. We have space to repent. I don't know how much is left. There's not a lot. Some, maybe, I hope. don't know just how much. First Timothy five. First Timothy five. and here I want verse 14. I will, therefore, that the younger women marry, because of situations that they face, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. We just read how he accuses us day in and day out. So Paul is warning Timothy here and dealing, the specific thing is with young women at this point, but it can apply to anybody not to give him occasion to speak reproachfully or accusatory against us. We have to avoid that. It is so easy to give Satan ammo. It's like we just pass it to him day in and day out with the things we think, the things we desire, the things we do. You just hand him ammo to take to the Father and the Son and accuse us with. So he says, be very, very careful not to give him ammunition. That's the main point I wanted out of that context, not the specifics at, the, at this point. Uh, let's go to First Peter 5. First Peter 5, verse 6. <clears throat> Here he's talking to people in personal relationships and the ministry as well. In being careful, uh, he says in verse into verse five, for God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. God has an aversion to pride. We are to be proud of nothing. We are to be humble. We are to be meek. But human nature, by itself, is proud. So that's why this instruction: that if you are proud, uh, God will resist. He just doesn't go for that. He doesn't like it. So he says it in verse 6, "...humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time." Our human pride wants us to be exalted, whether it be position, or whether it be in the eyes of people, in some form or fashion. We would like to take pride in our reputation, Now we need to have a good reputation, but we shouldn't be proud of it. We shouldn't even be proud of our children. People tell them kids all the time, I'm so proud of you. No, God didn't even go that far with his totally sinless son. I'm well pleased with you. Not proud of you. Because God does not have pride. And he doesn't want us to either. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Now, in this verse, we're beginning to get a glimmer of how we can avoid Satan and the pitfalls and the subtleties that he throws before us. Now, I gave some dramatic examples last week, but most of his works are not that dramatic. Those were some things that show the raw power that he can have. But most of the time, he's very subtle. He's very gentle. He leads us gently (coughs) to sin. He can deceive so very easily. (coughs) And we just follow along because that's our nature anyway. So here he tells us, put your care on God because he's the one who truly cares for you. Satan doesn't. Satan just cares to kill you. That's all. (coughs) Be sober. Be vigilant. On guard. Careful. (coughs) Careful of what you allow yourself to think. What your your emotions can carry you. We need to always be thinking through life, every day, (coughs) about our reactions, about our feelings, about our thought patterns, about what we allow to go through our head and don't allow it, because it's easy to start daydreaming and your mind just sort of drifts off somewhere and it'll wind up where it shouldn't be, real easily. It's just so easy to do. Selfish thoughts, vanity, ego, you know, whatever it might be, lust, vanity, greed, jealousy, envy, and on and on. Our minds can go there so very quickly. So we have to be vigilant. <clears throat> we have to guard every thought. Bring every thought into the subjection of God. Every thought. You have to be thought police, brethren. Not thought police for each other, thought police for yourself. You have to police your thoughts. You have to stand with a loaded gun at the side of your thoughts. <laughs> Speaking metaphorically, of course. Be sober, not frivolous. Now that doesn't mean we can't joke and laugh and and have a good time and kid each other and that kind of thing. But overall, behind all of that, we have to be very sober about life and about where we're headed, where we're going and how important it is. And vigilant not half asleep like we were. Because, now here's the reason, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. He doesn't sleep. A lion often hunts at night and roars in the darkness and comes after the unsuspecting. He'll even warn you with a roar before he comes and chews you up. But remember what we read back there about how he takes them at his will? Human beings are so willy-nilly and weak and easy to influence that he can pretty well manipulate us unless we have a way to keep him from it. Now, what about a lion in the dark? A human being lying asleep in the middle of the night to a, to a man-eating lion is about as easy as the prey gets. We can't run as fast as antelope. We can't defend ourselves. And he can just come in and grab you and kill you and eat you. And Satan can eat us alive just like a lion. And I mean, you think, well, not me. I'm pretty tough. He can't influence me. Well, in lion hunting stories, and I've read them, many of the finest, bravest, most accurate shooting lion hunters have died at the teeth and claws of lions. Because of a moment of inattentiveness, because of the way the lion... They were tracking, backtracked and hid in the weeds and attacked them from behind because they stumbled on a root and fell, because they lost courage, because they just made a bad shot at a rushing lion. So no matter how, we cannot stand against the roaring lion called Satan. You can't do it. He has deceived the whole cotton-picking world. Just like that. He deceived a third of the angels of God. He deceived Adam and Eve so quickly they didn't know what happened to them. And he did the same thing with everybody that has lived since. Except that unless they had some help that we're going to read about. So, there's a very severe warning here before a roaring lion. Maybe with a gun you might have a chance. Most of you would not. Even with a gun. And the rest of us would be dead. That's why he uses this analogy. Without God, and without what we're going to read about shortly, we're dead meat. Everybody out in this world is dead meat. They are in Satan's clutches and in some form of deception to him. Whether it be religious deception or financial deception or political deception or whatever people tend to go to, (coughs) Satan has them in his pocket. If he keeps you out of the kingdom of God, what difference did it make if you were really religious? If it wasn't the true religion of God, it's a very subtle and dangerous way to be kept from eternal life. He has many devices. Whom we this, resist steadfast in the faith. What we fall back on is faith in God and faith in the truth of God, the faith as defined by true doctrine, the true faith. You've got to resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. The world out there in general has afflictions from Satan. They have been led by the nose, like the bull, by Satan, and they are contrary to God. So he says, Resist steadfastly in the faith. But the God of all grace, who has called us to his eternal glory by Emmanuel, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. We're going to be tempted, tested, worked on by the devil, and the few who coming to the truth have stepped into the light out of the darkness are his greatest targets. He doesn't go to God's throne and accuse Billy Graham. He has no need to. He has him in his pocket. He goes and accuses you and me. Is who he goes and accuses. Evangelical preachers, he could care less. He has them in his pocket, including the Tkachas and half the church that was. They're in his pocket now. He doesn't even need to bother with them. So who does he go to accuse? You and me. We're the ones he accuses. Because we're slipping away and out of his grasp. Well, I don't know if you say we're slipping away. We're struggling away. Let's put it that way. We struggle to stay in the light. We struggle to walk in the light, to walk in the spirit. It's so easy to walk in the flesh in every way. So we have a struggle. And that's what he says here. After you've suffered for a while, we have to fight the devil. We have to fight human nature. It's a struggle, day in and day out. But we struggle in the faith. Now let's go to 2 Timothy 4. We'll see more and more of, of what we're up against and what to do about it. That's the main thing. You've got to understand the enemy, and then you have to know what to do about it. 2 Timothy 4, <coughs> verse 14. <coughs> I think I wrote that down. Oh, no, I didn't. That's right. He mentions Alexander the coppersmith here. <clears throat> he mentioned him in another place. Because this man had done him much evil, the eternal reward him according to his works. Of whom you beware also, for he has greatly withstood our words. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. So here, Alexander the coppersmith apparently had made some accusations at Paul. And they sounded plausible to people. And he says, no man stood with me. He said, everybody turned against me because of what Alexander smeared me with. But all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Eternal stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. We just read where he's called, Satan, a roaring lion. So this man, Alexander the coppersmith, apparently had a religious aura about him. He had a way of appearing to be righteous, and yet, here was Paul's... Paul, God's chosen apostle to the Gentiles, that he smeared and accused of things, and people people believed him. And Paul said he did great harm, great damage in another place. But he said God withstood him, but notice, it wasn't Alexander he saved him from, it was the mouth of the lion that he saved him from. Because Satan was using Alexander the coppersmith and people didn't recognize and realize that. They read it wrong. But Paul set the record straight here. And God delivered him from Satan's attack on him that came through this Alexander. So make no mistake, it wasn't really Alexander who was doing the accusing or the attacking. It was really Satan who was using Alexander the coppersmith and did great damage to what Paul was trying to accomplish. So that roaring lion is there to take whomever he can. Hebrews 2, verse 14. (coughs) For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood... He also himself, likewise, took part of the same, speaking of Christ, of course, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them through fear of death, and deliver them who, through fear of death, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So Satan had to be defeated by Christ, and we saw that episode a couple, three weeks ago where... He was tempted of the devil after fasting. Satan tried to take him down and win that battle, and he lost. But Christ had to come and had to die for us to destroy the power of death. The wages of sin is death. That's why Satan tries to entice us in so many, many different ways to sin. Because if we sin and live in sin and continue to sin, we will die eternally. So Christ had to come and die for us so that we don't have to die for our own sins. If we had to die for our own sins, we're all lost. It's over. It's done. I've sinned. You've sinned. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If we did not have Christ to cover our sin through His death, we're done. But we do. And He can. And He will. And thankfully, His mercy endures forever, and God is a merciful, loving God who's willing to put our sins in Christ's blood. God is so very, very merciful so kind, so willing. He willingly sent his Son and agreed to it before the foundation of the world that he had to come and die because he knew when, if Satan had been turned loose on a third of the angels and had deceived that many, he knew we were sitting ducks. They knew well ahead of time he would have to come and die, God giving up his life for us. And deliver them who, through fear of death, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The truth will set you free. But people in this world are living under bondage. That is, satanic beliefs chained to their human nature, their emotions, their feelings, and themselves. And they must be released from that. The truth sets you free by showing you the love of God, the mercy of God, that if you will obey his instructions, his commandments, his way of life, he will be greatly disposed to give you eternal life, which he wants to give with all his heart. That's the way he feels. Now, he wants us to have that very same attitude, brethren. When you go before God and ask for forgiveness for whatever infractions you may have made, you hope and expect and depend upon God to forgive you, don't you? And you believe these scriptures that say that he loves you and he will forgive you. Now, what does he expect of us? If we are to receive that kind of mercy and kindness and forgiveness, he expects us to turn around and give it to each other. That's what he expects. If we are unwilling to do that with each other, then he draws the line in the sand right there. He says, if you will not be merciful and kind and loving and forgiving to your brothers and sisters... You will not be in my kingdom. That's what he said. I'll judge you by how you treat one another. That's scary. Because it's our human nature to put ourselves ahead of each other. But Christ is our example, brethren. He gave up eternal life. He gave up glory to come and die for your sins and mine. That is the depth of his love. And we have to come to have that same love. And he says it must be exhibited among us. But why, why do we have a problem? We have a problem because of pride and ego and vanity and selfishness and all the works of the flesh. We have a problem with that. We have a problem because we get our feelings hurt, or we get offended, or we can't forget what somebody did to us, or what we thought they did to us, or whatever it might be. And when we have those reactions and those attitudes, we are demonstrating to God that we do not have the love of God. That's what we're showing Him. And love is the most important thing. Without love, there will be no kingdom of God. He is not going to allow people into his kingdom. Doesn't this make sense? Duh! He will not allow people in his kingdom who are unforgiving, unmerciful, unwilling to let bygones be bygones and the past be the past... Because the kingdom of God has to be a place of peace. Peace is one of the very most important gifts, promises that God makes to us. He will have perfect peace in his kingdom. So as he ponders our hearts... And decides whether or not we will be in his kingdom or not. Peace is one of the key ingredients of his spirit that we must have. To live peacefully, as Paul said, as much is within you, live peaceably with all men. It's one of the keys of his judgment. I want to be in God's kingdom in peace. If I cannot learn to forgive and to forget and move on, I don't want to be there. I don't want to be in God's kingdom if I can't be what I need to be. Because I would create trouble in the kingdom of God. And I don't want to be there and create trouble. I want to be part of the solution. And we're in a training ground here to become part of the solution, not part of the problem. Don't let Satan take advantage of you. Because he will. He will use us to be disruptive, divisive, mean, hateful, nasty, spiteful, whatever. Those are the works of the flesh. We have to stay away from those. We have been subject to that bondage, but we have to shake it off. Doesn't he tell us there in Isaiah 52 to shake off the yoke of bondage that the world has put on us? Yes, he does. You've got to shake it off. It won't come off on its own. It has to be knocked off. Second Corinthians 2. Yeah, I'll make it through this. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 9. For to this end also did I write, that I might know the proof of you, whether you be obedient in all things. To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive anything, to whom I forgive it, for your sakes, forgave it I in the person of Christ." So because of Christ, Paul said, I have to be forgiving. Now, this is in the context of the man who was taken in uh, fornication and incest, perhaps, in 1 Corinthians 5. And he had to command them to disfellowship that person, not have anything to do with him because of the sinful, the sin and the sinful attitude he was in. And they were in a sinful attitude too because they were... Accepting of the sin that was going on at that point. So then, after the man repented and quit sinning, then they didn't want to accept him back. There's human nature for you. Now, once you've branded him as a sinner, now we don't want him back. Well, he quit sinning, so supposed, you're supposed to let him back. He's supposed to forgive. Said Paul. Paul said, "I'll forgive you if you forgive him." Verse 11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So this matter of this man who had been taken in sin, who later repented of that sin, was in a situation where people needed to forgive him and accept him back. And if they did not, Paul says... Satan would take advantage of them. Unforgiveness is a sin unto death. So he said, You better forgive, or Satan will take advantage of you and destroy you. Now, who was the first one in trouble here? The one who sinned. But that one repented and changed. That one wasn't in trouble anymore. But the people who would not forgive him and accept him back with open arms were the ones who were in the hands of Satan the devil. Can we see that clearly? The original sin didn't matter. It had been repented of. The ones who would not forgive were in the grasp of Satan and subject to his devices. Now that would be a very subtle way to capture them, wouldn't it? Well, he did sin. So why should I forgive him? If he did sin and you put him out of the church, now you want him back and you want me to accept this sinner? They could rise up in self-righteous indignation. Paul said, no, no room for that. That man repented; he quit that. Now you're in trouble because you won't forgive him. As big a trouble as the original sinner was. Satan is very subtle, and he can he can grab us. And self righteousness is one of the very easiest ways he can get us. So very easily. And frequently. 2 Corinthians 11 now. Verse 13. Speaking here of people who were uh, giving Paul difficulty. Verse 13, and the church. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Now, God appoints the offices within the church. But people who transform themselves into those positions are presumptuous, and presumption in God's eyes is the same as witchcraft. We need to be very, very careful in taking on responsibilities or things we think we can do that God has reserved for the ministry, and very clearly so in the Bible, But here you had people raising themselves up as preachers and teachers and calling themselves angels of light. Well, they weren't angels of light. Paul is making that point. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So he says the angels can appear righteous. They can appear sweet and benign and unhurtful and good. And men who raise themselves up can come across the same way. And it is so easy to be deceived. So Paul warns about that. That Satan can use people, and they can seem so very right and so very righteous. But it isn't always the case. Now let's go to James chapter 4. See how these scriptures come together to show how easily... Satan can manipulate us so very easily. And he works overtime on those who know the truth. James 4, beginning in verse 4. You adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. We have to be very, very careful in our relationship with the world at large and unconverted people out there. Sometimes people think, well, I can be friends with them and it'll be okay. You better be very, very careful. The world out there is deceived by Satan. And some of it is so very subtle you wouldn't know it. That's why Protestant preachers are so dangerous, because they are transformed as angels of light. And the things they say sound really, really good to the unknowing people that listen. And it sounds so religious and so sanctimonious and so righteous, and yet they always have a twist. They will always lead you from the instruction, the commandments, the plan of salvation the right day to worship, and so on. It's very, very subtle. And they can sound so good. And that is the beauty of Satan's great deception. It can sound righteous and be diabolical at the same time. That's where you have to be the most careful. That's why God, Paul said, no, not Paul, John said, if they come and bring not this doctrine, don't allow them in your house, nor bid them, Godspeed, stay away. So those that sound so loving and sanctimonious on the radio and the TV will lead you astray. They do not have these doctrines, this teaching. And John said, don't allow them in your house. Your house is your spiritual house, is your head Or your physical house and your TV and your internet and whatever else. You're not supposed to listen to that because it is not of God even though it sounds righteous and sounds godly. You can't be a friend of the world and the world's religions and Satan's religions. You cannot do it without being led astray to one degree or another. Do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit that dwells in us lusts to envy? The human nature is there. And and are we so deceived that we think we have the love of God when we do things that are not kind, gentle, loving, merciful to people? But he gives more grace. Wherefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil... And he will flee from you. So here we have some very, very important instruction. Be humble, be meek, don't have anything basically to do with the world around you and its culture and society. Draw near to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The devil becomes. Nervous in the presence of righteousness. He doesn't like to be around righteousness, holiness, and righteous people. He likes to be around sinners. He likes to be around human nature that is unbridled, unchecked, and does its own thing. And if you draw near to God, that is a resistance against Satan. He meets resistance because he meets the Spirit of God, the attitude of God, the approach of God, the thoughts of God. And you don't want to be around that. So he will flee from you. A raging lion, a roaring lion will flee from you if you have the attitude and the thoughts of Almighty God going through your head. The true doctrines, the true beliefs of God. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He says, you want to get out of the clutches of Satan? Here's how to do it. Draw near to God. Repent. Get rid of the sin. Get rid of the wrong thoughts and actions. Don't be double-minded. Sitting on the fence. Trying to dabble in the world and trying to be a Christian at the same time. Doesn't work. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. We're not supposed to be lighthearted and happy, happy, joy, joy all the time. We have a struggle for eternal life or eternal death on our hands. So he says to struggle against that. And if you struggle to escape the wiles of Satan, it will lead to affliction and mourning and weeping and praying and crying out and denying the self and all those things that are difficult for us to do. So it is truly a struggle. "'Speak not evil one of one another, brethren,' He that speaks evil of his brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. The law is the law of God. It's just that simple. When we speak against one another, we are playing into the hands of the devil. I hope we can comprehend the truth and the depth of that. And lay off of one another. Do we want to destroy someone? Besmirching them, befouling their name, making accusations against them, stabbing them in the back is tantamount to spiritual murder. Well, I wouldn't kill anybody. Not with a gun or a sword, maybe, but you sure will do it with your tongue. God says you can't do that. Not here in the context of true righteousness and resisting the devil and drawing near to God because God doesn't do that. God knights no one in the back. He just doesn't do it. Now, He's bold and brave and open with what Satan is, but God is full of encouragement and mercy and kindness and helpfulness and looking for the good. Human nature and Satan is looking for the bad. And if you look hard enough, you're bound to find it. If you don't find it, you'll dream it up. Colossians 1. You want to know how to to avoid the devil? Avoid eternal death? These scriptures are telling you how to do it. Colossians 1, verse 13. Who has delivered us, speaking of God, from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. (coughs) So he's he's in the process of leading us out of darkness and into the light. You know, the world loves darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So it is a darkened world on a spiritual level. What is the day of the Lord going to bring? Read Joel and other places. Darkness, trouble, pain, suffering and death. Because God is going to destroy, let Satan do it at his behest though, but God is going to behind it. He is going God is going to cause most of the population of the earth to die. Not for bad, but for their good. Because going through what the great tribulation and the seven last plagues and the horrors that are about to be unleashed in this world, when people come back to life in the great white throne judgment, they're going to be humble and ready to listen. The horror that they have experienced is going to put them in a different frame of mind. Then they can be worked with. Well, Satan is trying to destroy us and God says, go ahead, go for it, save me about a hundred million, the rest of you can kill, go for it. But I can resurrect them and I'll get the last laugh and you're going into perdition. God's going to win. Let's get a couple more here, Ephesians 4, this is a very important one. Ephesians 4, I'll wrap this up pretty quickly, but I do want to cover just a little bit more. Ephesians 4, beginning in uh, oh, verse 11. Here he's talking about having given offices within the church to work with people, to edify them, the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and at the knowledge of And of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's why we're here today. My job is to read these scriptures to you, to help draw you to do God's will instead of Satan's and this world's will, so that we might all come together in unity and peace and the love of God. That's why we have this service. That we henceforth be no more children, spiritually speaking, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the cunning of men or the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, to say things that are contrary to this book. But speaking the truth, so that we might be joined fitly together, verse 16, and the edifying of the body itself in love. into verse 16. This I say, therefore, and testify in the eternal, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of the mind, following whatever your emotions, your feelings, your mind says, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Blind means dark. <clears throat> doing what feels natural. Doing what seems good, like the world tells us to do. No, what seems right to a man is the way of death. Proverbs 14, 12, and sixteen twenty five. Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lawlessness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ... If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Emmanuel, that you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Recognize that your human nature is evil, wrong, upside down, backward and selfish, and put it away. And that you put on the new man, new way of thinking, new way of acting, new way of doing, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Not false or fake holiness, but true holiness.
1: Wherefore, putting away
0: lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be you angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Don't hold it. Don't keep it. Get rid of it. Neither give place to the devil. Don't give him a place in your mind, your emotions, your heart, your feelings. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands that thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needs. We have a society today that is basically a welfare society. Handouts, doles on every side. That's not the way society is supposed to operate. Now, I realize as things get tougher and tougher and tougher, it's harder for people to make a living because we have holes in our pockets, as Haggai said we would. So there are times that we may need assistance, but that is not the way God intended it. He intended that we all work hard and produce and be able to have to give to someone that does need as opposed to being on the take. That is a goal and a purpose. And it's hard to come out of in this society today because it's geared that way. It's made that way. They want us to be as dependent on the government as they could possibly make us so that they can control us. As Henry Kissinger has said, he who controls the money controls the nation. He who controls the food controls the people. And that is exactly what they are trying to do. There are five major corporations that control almost all the food that comes into this country or is used in this country. Not only do they control the production and the distribution of it, They also control the quality of it, and there's hardly any of it that is fit to put in the human body. It's poisoning us. That's the way it is. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed to the day of redemption. And then he says to get rid of all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking. Be put away from you along with all malice. And be you kind one to another. Tender hearted. Forgiving one another. Even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. He will only ask us to do what he has done for us. Now, chapter 6, verse 10 of Ephesians. Here is described (coughs) how to fight Satan the devil. Verse 10 of Ephesians 6, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the eternal and in the power of his might. Through His Holy Spirit, we can have power. Power over our mind, power over our emotions, our feelings, our desires. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He's going to give us the answer here. Satan is powerful. He's deceived the whole world. He had us deceived. Now we're shaking that off and learning truth. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. The darkness this world is in is ruled over by Satan, the devil, and the demons. Against spiritual wickedness in high places, in politics, in governments of men, in the entertainment uh, sector, in the religious sector, they're everywhere, the fruits of darkness. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Can't be knocked down. Can't be influenced strongly. Can't be confused. Can't be made insecure. Can't shrink back. God takes no pleasure in those who shrink back. We have to be fully armed, fully prepared, and ready to fight every day against the darkness of Satan in this world. Be vigilant. Be sober. He goes about as a roaring lion. Stand, therefore, not weak-kneed, not willy-nilly, not confused, not, well, I wonder. Stand, therefore, like a man. No, not like a man. Like God. Stand like God. Having your loins girt about with truth. Better learn what the truth is of the Bible. The truth of God, not the truth about your neighbor's sin. That's not what that means. This truth. And having on the breastplate of righteousness. We're very vulnerable in the loins. <laughs> The lower regions of our body because of various desires and feelings and things that are there. So we have to have truth to gird that which reproduces, if you will. Because we don't want to reproduce anything but truth. So he uses the body as the analogy. (coughs) The breastplate of righteousness... You've got to protect your heart, your lungs, those vital organs there. And what protects them from Satan and the devil or the demons is righteousness. A true, faithful, pure, loyal heart to God. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The shoes you wear are there so that every step you take leads to peace? That cannot be said of many people on this earth. Their feet don't lead to peace, they lead to turmoil, to division, to animosity, to hatred. That's the way it is. Doesn't matter what society of part of life you're talking about. People walk into the bar with their shoes on to find a fight, to find trouble, to find fornication, to find all kinds of ungodly things. To make trouble for others. No, your feet have to be shod with the shoes of peace. So that wherever you walk, peace prevails. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Faith has to be thrown out as a shield. Trust in God, belief in God, that He can save us from Satan, the devil, and anything He can throw at us. And that faith can be moved around wherever the attack is coming from. So that we put our trust and our faith in God, our health, our wealth, our life, Everything that is us needs to be in the hands of God. And trust Him in faith that He will take care of us. He is the one who holds the keys of life and death. So, believe Him. If you believe Him with all your heart and trust Him, that's a shield against Satan. And take the helmet of salvation. Your head needs to be pointed at salvation. And if your head, the thoughts that go through your mind, are continually pointed toward life eternal and the salvation of God and being in His kingdom, then that's going to protect your head. What does Satan try to take over the most? Your head, your mind, your thoughts. That's what he wants the most. So you need the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. A sword cuts down opposition. It cuts down resistance. God's Spirit can move in great power to cut through the wiles and the deceptions and the subtleties and the methods of the devil. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Why does a human being resist Bible study when this is the Word, the truth? They can protect you because God's Spirit is in these words. His mind, His thoughts are in these words. He wrote down the thoughts of His mind here. So we claim we want to know God, we want to be close to God. But something within us resists studying the Word of God, which imparts His Spirit to us. See how carnal we are? See how opposed to God by nature we are? Takes work. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. He's still telling us here how to resist Satan and how to overcome the spiritual darkness and wickedness that is all around us. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So you don't just pray for you, you pray and supplicate God about you, but you do the same thing for your brothers and sisters, for all the saints. If you are beseechingly praying for each other as much as you pray for yourself, loving your neighbor as yourself, that is an antidote to backbiting, gossip, running down the character and lives of others. How can you cut down someone that you are sweating over on your knees asking God to encourage them and strengthen them and help them and lead them into love and salvation. If you can do that and still cut them down, you are a double-minded person. Unstable in all your ways. That's God's definition. So if you're going to fight the devil... You have to present a unified front. We're in this together, brethren. We're not here as individuals. We're here to help and strengthen each other. And in so doing, it helps us fight the devil. And for me, he says, the ministry, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. For which I'm an ambassador in bonds, that there therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Pray for me that I do that. I'm a bold person and aggressive in some sense by nature. But so was Paul. He was bold in killing Christians. And he had to be struck down on the roads to Damascus and have his goals, his purpose, his direction completely changed. And now he needed to be bold in presenting the truth instead of accusation and murder, which is what he had been. So he needed their prayers, that he'd be bold in Christ, not in Satan, which is what he had been. Here God tells us, how to fight this battle. I'll get one more, because I think this is a very important one that we need to keep in mind daily. It's something, this is a scripture we need to use almost as much as any scripture I can think of. Jude, verse 9. Here was the battle between Michael, the archangel, and Satan. Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. So Satan wanted the body of Moses to do with as he pleased. Michael had been given a charge, obviously, to take care of that and not let Satan do that. But Michael, the archangel, had to respect the power and even the office that Satan still held. So he would not bring a railing accusation against the devil himself, much less a brother in the church, but not even against the devil would he bring a railing accusation. We're in danger if we start screaming and cussing about the devil. It's not what we're supposed to do. There is great power there. But said, the eternal rebuke you. The eternal rebuke you. That is a phrase we all need to memorize and keep very, very handy. Because if we're aware of the wiles of Satan, if we're aware of the impulses, the thoughts, the emotions that he can inject into our minds throughout this society and even straight out of the air, we need to recognize when that is happening and rebuke Satan. But you can't do it on your own power and in your own name. I could say, Daryl, rebuke you over and over, and it wouldn't cut any cheese whatsoever. I can say the Eternal rebuke you, and Satan fears God. I have no power against Satan. He can take me as a roaring lion, the principality of the power of the air. We're sitting ducks, helpless brethren, without the power of God. Take on the whole armor of God. And when Satan tempts you, say, the eternal rebuke you, Satan. Call on the highest power in the universe. Higher than Satan the devil by far. The one who is going to take Satan by the nap of the neck and throw him into darkness and fire. Eternally. That's the one you call on. The eternal rebuke you, Satan. Call on God Almighty. And the more righteous we are, and the more of the armor of God we wear, the more God will respond and help us withstand the wiles of the devil and preserve us in God to salvation.